Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are so excited to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutters, our barista. And this morning in the cafe, we kick off Catholic Schools Week with our first guest, Jim Silcott, the, pres- the principal of Our Lady of Peace School. Then at about 8.20, our friends Father Stosh Daly and Brother Michael Hurley will join us to reflect on today's gospel passage from Mark chapter 5. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. He starts with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for another day, for your goodness and for your blessings and for sustaining us and loving us. Lord, we, we, uh, we just repent for all the ways that we, we haven't loved well, for all the ways that we've turned away from you, and for all the ways that we've said no to you, all the ways that we've not received um, the love even from others that, that you're trying to shower onto us. Lord, we ask to be receptive, to learn how to be in relationship well, to uh, live out the goodness of our true identity as sons and daughters, um, and to, to offer that to you well. We ask for those graces, um, especially through the intercession of Mary, as she always helps us to draw closer to the Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I was surprised this morning walking in. Yeah. Turning on the lights, walking into the chapel. Yes. And there's a Zacchetto there. <laughs> there is. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, honestly, Dave, I don't know how to explain it, but it's it was supernatural. As soon as I walked in, I got tears in my eyes because I knew it had to be JV2. Of course, I couldn't. I wasn't for sure. but Because um, there's no label on it. There's no label. Our relics aren't there. But I knew he was here with us, and he's one of my favorites. So yep. I'm just really excited. <laughs> and it's confirmed. Uh, Bill Messerly picked it up from... The museum Friday afternoon mm-hmm. and surprised us all with this gift this morning. Yeah. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. a great surprise. So friends, if you're in the neighborhood, come on in. 4673 Winterset in Upper Arlington and uh, yeah, spend some time in our chapel and say hi to the Zacchetto. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, say hi to JP too, but his ghetto is here. <laughs> We're three minutes in and I made Father Daly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Catholic School Week and uh, we're doing something special each day. We're going to be welcoming in one of our teachers or principals to have a conversation about the value of of Catholic schools. And Amanda, you've been spending a lot of time over the last few months and continuing with our fifth graders praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. That's right. Yeah. I'll be doing some more recordings. Yeah. So every day at 3 p.m., every weekday at 3 p.m., you'll be able to hear one of our classes, our fifth grade classes, praying the chaplet. 
So joining us now, Father, or Father, Principal Jim Silcott, the principal of Our Lady of Peace School. Good morning, Mr. Silcott. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for being with us. Happy Schools Week. Absolutely. How long have you been a principal at Our Lady of Peace? This is my seventh year here, but it's my 46th year in Catholic education. 40? Is that as a student as well? Nope. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. That's uh, teaching and, and uh, being an administrator. Okay. Congratulations. Thanks. 46 thanks. years. Outstanding. So tell us about you grew up in Columbus, right? I, I well, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, and, uh, lived for a bit in uh, on Long Island in New York. Long Island came, mm-hmm. came here in sixth grade. Uh, went to Our Lady of Victory uh, School, mm-hmm. and then uh, St. Charles. Outstanding. Obviously, Catholic education was important to your parents. Absolutely. In fact, in Baltimore, uh, of course, I don't think any Catholic schools had kindergarten back then. I didn't get to go to kindergarten because there was no Catholic kindergarten. So I just had to kind of learn on my own that year. And uh, my first year of education was first grade at Immaculate Heart of Mary in in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And then Our Lady of Victory here in Columbus, and then Mm -hmm. on to St. Charles. Mm -hmm. So you survived Latin. I survived. In fact, I still teach Latin to my uh, <laughs> seventh and eighth graders. More than survived, you thrived. I, I did. I still believe in it. <laughs> and then from St. Charles, where did you go? I went to Ohio State uh, for a couple of degrees. Um, when I became a principal, my first principalship was at St. Timothy back in uh, 1989. Uh, I had to go back for more schooling, and I did that at the University of Dayton. Of course, it's a Catholic uh, university. Was there ever any question that you would go to dedicate your career, your uh, vocation to Catholic schools? No, this is always kind of my plan from the time I graduated from St. Charles. Uh, was a, I was trained to be an English teacher, and I taught uh, English and Latin. Uh, did the plays at Bishop Watterson for 10 years. And then uh, they started bugging me about maybe being a principal. And, uh kind of recruited me, and uh, for better or worse, they've been stuck with me all these years. <laughs> I, I think it's more than that. The um, parish at Our Lady of Peace, I've always been impressed by the community uh, there around the parish, and the school is thriving. Yes, it is. We're at our biggest enrollment in many years. We're 253 students as of today. Uh, we did invite a number of uh, St. Anthony families over to our school. In fact, we have most of their eighth graders because we wanted to try to keep um, that class together so they could graduate kind of together. And uh, uh, the St. Anthony eighth graders and the Our Lady of Peace eighth graders, of course, they're all Our Lady of Peace students now, have uh, assimilated very well. And it, it's our biggest eighth grade class uh, I think ever of 42 students. What excites you most about um, coming to work every day? Uh, at my age, getting up in the morning is, is the start. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, what, what excites me most is uh, 
is what we do every morning. In fact, I had to kind of run out of it a little bit early, is we gather together every single morning as a whole community, uh, K through eight, teachers, staff, parents sometimes, either outside in the nicer weather or in the gym, and we pray together. Uh, it's, it's brief, but I think it's powerful. Uh, we we uh, gather together. We pray for intentions. Uh, we sing a school song every day. It's, uh, it's easy for the kids to remember. Dona Nobis Pachem, three words. And uh, it just, I think it starts the whole day uh, on the right footing. And then, of course, during the day, um, the students are exposed to prayer uh, just about every class. So um, that gets me excited. And, of course, just seeing the, the kids and the, the teachers and the interaction. It's a very it's a very positive, warm school. And, of course, the fact that we do it all in, in Christ's name is, uh, is still very powerful to me after all these years. Jim Silcott, the principal of Our Lady of Peace School here in Columbus, are there opportunities for uh, the older students to mentor or interact with uh, some of the younger students? Yes, uh, we have a, a very wonderful program with our eighth graders uh, called Crew, and one day of every week uh, they're divided up. They actually work recess and cafeteria uh, with our younger students, so they help the students open those. Uh, Capri Sun things, which I'm terrible at, um, or microwave food for them. They interact with the kids at recess. Um, and uh, to the younger kids, our eighth graders are rock stars. Yeah. Uh, the thing I've always said about a K-8 school, particularly a Catholic school, is, you know, kids can be mean to one another in, in every setting, in every school. In all my years, I've never seen um, an older student be mean to a younger student. It, I think it just is so important for both sets of ages, the six-year-olds and the 13-, 14-year-olds, to interact with each other. And there's such a bond of kindness uh, and generosity on the part of our older students. And our younger students remember that. When they get up to the older grades, they remember who their uh, mentors and, and uh, buddies were. And, uh, it's just a very powerful uh, witness. What... um. Well, and those eighth graders then will be starting all over again <laughs> as yeah. freshmen the next year. So if they're able to take that kindness and uh, that confidence into, into high school, that's uh, that's a big deal. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's one of the things, of course, we aim for. And I think as of today, uh, every one of our 42 um, eighth graders is heading to a Catholic high school next year, which we're also very proud of. All 42? Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 nice. Again, you know, we know that uh, families choose different options for different reasons, but uh, I think our high schools do a great job um, in letting our families know the importance of continuing that Catholic education in the secondary school. Mm -hmm. Do they mostly uh, continue on then to Watterson? Uh, Watterson is our feeder school. Again, with, with the number of students from St. Anthony, uh, we have a uh, number of students going to the sales next year. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Charles always uh, grabs a few of our I think about five or six gentlemen are heading to St. Charles um, this year. So it's, it's a mix, but uh, uh, we, again, we support all our schools. Uh, Watterson's our, our traditional uh, mentor school, so we work very closely with them. But uh, uh, 
yeah, we've got a great relationship with all our Catholic schools, mm-hmm. high schools. I'm a, I'm a convert to the faith as an adult. Um, my wife grew up uh, in Catholic schools, and one thing that's always really impressed me um, are these friendships that last a lifetime. You know, still yeah. have friends from kindergarten and, you know, through eighth grade, even though they went different different directions in high school and, and beyond, those relationships are, are always there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, when you get to high school, of course, sports is a big competition. Waters into sales events are always huge. But um, though that competition is fierce, there's such a respect um, between the schools, among the schools, uh, even during those athletic events, as, as intense as they get. And as a former high school principal, I, I certainly appreciated that. Mr. Jim Silcott, the principal of Our Lady of Peace, helping us kick off Catholic Schools Week here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Jim, thank you very much for being with us. I know you have a full day ahead, so uh, we're praying for you and all of our Catholic schools, families, administrators, and students this week. So thank you for your dedication and wishing you another 46 years. Okay. Thanks, David and Amanda. Take care. Thank you. God bless you. That was Mr. Jim Silcott, the principal of Our Lady of Peace School. Coming up next, we're joined by Father Stosh Daly and Brother Michael Herlihy to help us reflect on today's gospel from Mark chapter 5. Stay with us. A prayer for Ohio. Ever-living God, you give life and desire a future for all of your children. Take hold of our nation, state, and community, and awaken in every heart awe for the gift of life. Send your Spirit to strengthen us with wisdom and fortitude as we defend mothers and children in Ohio from laws that disregard their health and safety. Mary and Joseph trusted in you and welcomed Jesus into our broken world. Father, we ask their intercession to protect the preborn and their mothers and to guide all parents in raising their children. May they help us build a civilization of love by upholding the sacredness of life, preserving parental rights, and walking with pregnant women in need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of the Family, pray for us. St. Joseph, Protector of the Unborn, pray for us. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of faith is seen in Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Blessed Virgin Mary lived the virtue of faith heroically by saying yes to God and agreeing to become the mother of Jesus, even when she did not understand what this would mean for her. She practiced faith by standing with her son when he was being crucified, still believing in God's plan to save his people, even though his life was ending. Let us ask Mary to pray for us, that we may grow in faith and know God and all that he has revealed. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Kroc, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. 
Discipline is required in athletics and really in all endeavors in life. A certain commitment and structure is necessary for us to move toward accomplishing a goal, completing a project, or preparing for a physical challenge. From Sacred Scripture, Hebrews 12. At the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. It is so true. Discipline in the spiritual life, as in our temporal affairs, is tough. But when we cooperate with God's grace and exercise the virtue of fortitude, we can persevere. With practice, we too can experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness that Jesus desires for us. Let us pray. Jesus, help us to embrace discipline in our everyday lives, to grow in holiness, and to become more like you. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborne, and we are thrilled to have our Vicar of Religious for the Diocese of Columbus, Father Stosh Daly, <laughs> with us on a Monday. Here in the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> and Brother Michael Hurley, OFM Cap. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. So, Father Daly, we have you in twice this week. Brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Bookends. Monday Book and Friday. Ends. That's it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it means it'll be a good week. Thought we'd have you guys in to help us um, reflect on today's gospel. Rich, rich gospel and lots of uh, different things that we can talk about. We're reading from Mark. It's chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So... Brother Michael, can you proclaim the gospel? Sure, I'd be glad to. This comes in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the territory of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs who had, been un who had an unclean spirit met him. The man had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. In fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles smashed, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the hillsides, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He had been saying to him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. He asked him, What is your name? He replied, Legion is my name. There are many of us. And he pleaded earnestly with him not to drive them away from that territory. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they pleaded with him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. And he let them. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank into the sea where they were drowned. The shepherds ran away and reported the incident in the town and throughout the countryside. And the people came out to see what had happened. 
as they approached Jesus, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed the incident explained to them that what had happened to the possessed man and to the swine. Then they began to beg him to leave their district. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed pleaded to remain with him. But Jesus would not permit him, but told him and said, Go home to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Then the man went off and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him, and all were amazed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, brother. So, Father Daly, this, uh, today's reading comes about four chapters after yesterday's Gospel, mm. where there's another uh demoniac yes yeah so we're looking at the reality of spiritual warfare yeah i think you know entering into the gospel today i um one of the things that strikes me is an uh, invitation to invoke the holy spirit uh in our own lives and even if the prayer is very simple it's like come holy spirit help me to respond to the voice of jesus who is speaking to me speaking about me. And I kind of pull that out from that dialogue, um, read beautifully uh, by brother. And, um, you know, if you catch on, it says, catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Je- with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Then parentheses, it says, he had been saying to him, unclean spirit, come out of the man. So this, this refers that it's not a linear progression. There's two things going on at the same time. The Lord sees the man from a distance before the man sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the Lord sees him and sees the plight of his humanity being oppressed through this possession. And what does the Lord do? The Lord starts to set him free before the man even knows mm. he's being set free. And I, that, you know, it kind of sends chills up and then you're spine. like, the Lord sees us before we see him. The Lord starts to speak the words that we need to benefit from before we even acknowledge we need the benefit he can offer. And therein lies the power of the divine person of Jesus. He sees us before we see him. He starts to liberate us before we even know the one who can set us free is in our presence. Mm. And the, 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 the words of Jesus, you know, what does he say? Um, unclean spirit come out of the man. That evokes a response from the man who is possessed. And the spirit who's driving his actions runs towards the one who is commanding him to let go. And in this amazing dialogue and drama, we, like you said, we experience the reality of spiritual warfare. And this is something that should set us free, right? You know, you and I are not slaves in this. Uh, We're not... um, those who are deceived by a Manichaeanism where there's like these dual powers and the darkness and light are equal in power. Oh, please, no. The Lord wins. <laughs> the Lord always wins. There's no equality yeah. in the reality of spiritual um, warfare. The Lord wins. And that's something I think that we need to acknowledge and then be set free by because a lot of times, uh, just as a result of the brokenness of our minds and maybe the frailty of our spirits and also the ignorance of truth, we tend to think that I could be lost to the darkness through no fault of my own. 
No. <laughs> I mean, the, no, not at all. I mean, you have to make an act, right. an intentional act to give yourself over to that kind of darkness and be lost. But the Lord sees us before we see him. The Lord speaks before we even know we need to be set free. And like you said, uh, Dave, you know, this is following in the glory, in the light of the proclamation of the gospel yesterday, where there was another confrontation between the Lord and the Lord Jesus and the reality of the person of darkness who, you know, re represents the fallen angels. And uh, all of this is meant to set us free uh, and bring us joy, peace, and the fullness of life. It's not meant to be a burden or oppressive. And yet, you know, our humanity is fascinated by the darkness, but you know, basically bored by the light. <laughs> mm. I remember teaching religion to junior high and it was like Easter week, you know, the glory of the risen savior is just everywhere. And in religion class are like, can you tell us about exorcisms? It's like, what the heck? Like, the Lord just came back from the dead. This is the most important light filled, glorious moment of human history. And you just want to think about the dark, you know, mm. but it just kind of shows there's a fascination, fascination within us about the darkness, but we're bored by the light. And therein, too, there's an opportunity for growth. There's an opportunity for the Lord to come in and kind of reorient, reprioritize things, you know? So, I mean, the words of the gospel today, they're just, they're powerful, they're beautiful, they're life-giving, life-saving, uh, liberating. Um, but it, it does help us to appreciate, first, you begin with the divine person of the Lord, entering into the frailty of the humanity of the man, you know, who's been chained in the tombs. And then, and only then, to kind of give a little bit of attention to the presence of Legion, who's been bothering this poor soul, oppressing him. But yeah, it, I mean, it, these are the words of everlasting life. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Father Sash, I was struck by when you said there's there's no way that we can be overcome by evil like we without saying yes to it first, yeah. right? And actually that was my first thoughts when I was reading this gospel, when he was dwelling among the tombs. Yeah. It's like, well, what was he doing so close to the valley of death, right? right. Yeah. And it just makes me think in our own spiritual life, the, the ways that we start to say yes to yeah. sin is what leads us to ultimately yep. what we see was happening in this man's life. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe we can start there with this idea of, well, how can we how can we stay away from that in the first place? <laughs> yeah, the, the tombs part also stood out to me of there's in the fascination with death of a lot of people are very scared of going to a graveyard, right? I, oftentimes, you know, when I'm at a graveside, someone it's this opportunity to kind of do some more catechesis with 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 death and you know with the momentum mori, if you will, and. Yeah, some people are very fascinated with death. And you see this at Halloween. You know, it's almost like the the costumes get darker and darker every year. But, like, really from a Christian perspective, I'm often telling people, like, actually being amongst the tombs can be a very positive thing if you're thinking about life, mm. right? So when we're walking amongst the tombstones, are we praying for the dead? So I often challenge people that are burying their, their loved one, like, let this not be the last time that they're coming to be able to, to this site, you know, but it's really... We're here to, to as you, you point out, to the light. We're here to witness to the light, to the light of the resurrection, to the light of life. And in, in many ways, we see this man who's possessed, in a sense, come back to life, come back to his right mind, come back from really a, a state of, of darkness, of extreme, of being extremely lost, of, of almost falling into an animalistic mm. um, state, of breaking chains and you know, you've seen videos or you've seen movies where these people that are possessed are 
they, they seem more like animals than humans. They're they're very very lost. But I I was also struck by that that tombs space of he's spending all this time amongst the tombs, which in itself is not bad. As I said, if we if we're praying for the light, but oftentimes we're almost living in in tombs ourselves, tombs of like a slavery to the darkness of and that fascination with the the darkness. I understand it's the curiosity, the unknown, and I think we should acknowledge that curiosity is a good thing, but you know, curiosity killed the cat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so just to, where does our curiosity take us in terms of this spending time around death? You know, are we focusing on the light of life, um, in the midst of the, the bodily death, but the hope of the, the future resurrection, I think would be an important point to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brother Michael Hurley and Father Stosh Daly here in the cafe with us this morning. And Father, you had mentioned, um, the Lord sees the demoniac before the demoniac sees him. In fact, the passage right before this, they're in the boat. Yeah. Right. Uh, So it was the evening before they get in the boat, cross the sea, Jesus is asleep, storm comes up and the disciples start to freak out. Yeah. Right. And it's um, teacher, do you not care if we perish? Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) Yeah, of course he does. Yeah, <laughs> he, right. he 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 wakes up. He calms the sea. Yeah, and then they land, and he's going to show them all. Yeah, how much he cares that they don't perish. So he's he's bringing that light out of the out of the darkness, literally after crossing a rough sea, to bring healing and life to yeah. uh, to everyone. Right, and I you know one of the things is I'm. Um, when we, when we as disciples, discipoli, uh, students, when we enter into the gospel, you know, we learn something from the master, the teacher, he who is Jesus. And one of the things we're, we're called to learn and really digest is perspective. Hmm. What is the perspective of Jesus versus what is the perspective of man? What is the perspective of woman? You know, when um, you have the disciples, like you said, on the gospel, oh, do you, don't you care if we, we perish if we die? Well, of course he does. But they're thinking death is in the end of the flesh, end of life. You know, it to them, it's the same thing. But for the Lord, to die is the end of life. You know, you enter into the darkness, enter into the abyss. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, you know, when the Lord sees us die in the flesh, that does not necessarily mean we've died in the spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's God. He knows what He knows what's waiting for us, you know? Um, and so we take upon ourselves as d- disciples, as students of the divine master, to see that, you know, you and I, we were made for heaven. We were made for life that knows no end, no bounds. We Life eternal with the Father in heaven. And that, that perspective sheds a powerful light on not only the words of the Lord, but also the moments where the Lord engages with the disciples and the apostles, the demoniacs, you know, the, the, the widow, you know, of nine who's following her dead son, uh, Jairus and his daughter, Lazarus, you know, why does Jesus weep at the death of Lazarus? Is it because he died? No. He weeps because he's going to bring him back into this psychodrama called world life. <laughs> and then he's got the poor thing's going to have to die all over again because there's a bunch of hard heart, stubborn people walking around. It's like, And then they put his tears to the test. I mean, we just don't learn. <laughs> you know? Poor Jesus, you know? Um, <laughs> but there, there's this drama of like, what is the lesson? Perspective. You know, look with the eyes of the heart to see that um, the end of the flesh is not the end of the spirit. We were made for heaven, you know? And he sees us before we see him. And to me, that's like one of the most consoling 
messages we could have from the gospel. He sees us before we see him. You know, we're all like uh, searching today. We run into so many people who have this yearning, this longing, this emptiness. We might even call it a darkness, but it's definitely a void within. They're searching. They're looking. And one of the most powerful things we as a Christian, uh, as a Catholic Christian can say, no matter of our vocation, is the one whom you are looking for, he already knows you. He sees you. I mean, you are desperate to find the meaning, the value, the truth, the love, compassion, accompaniment. You're desperate for all of these things, but the one who can only satisfy all of those things, he's the only one that can do it. He already sees you and he loves you and he knows you by name. And the gospel today is a powerful reminder of that. And it, it just, it consoles our hearts as much as it's supposed to convict us to re, you know, understand there is someone out there who very much like the demoniac is wandering the hills wandering through life, just going through the monotony of getting up, going to work, eating, maybe coming back, you know, living off of caffeine, uh, everything else. And then the next day all over again, they're just wandering, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I love the fact that in the gospel, in this particular translation, it says the man had been dwelling mm -hmm. among the tombs, comma, and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. I mean, he was existing there to dwell there. Um, and yet then there's like this little note, oh, a, a chain. Okay, so you know there was a choice for sure, but there was also something imposed on him. And, and I, you know, I think there's just something like, you know, we, we should each be inflamed on one hand by the fact that the Lord sees us before we see him. He sets us free even before we need to, need to um, know and acknowledge we need to be set free. Uh, but then also it's like, okay, who else around me uh, needs to be liberated? Not by me, but by the Lord, whom I'm, I might be able to invoke for his benefit or her benefit. You know, we, you and I each encounter like a billion people in our lives. But do we invoke the Lord on their behalf so that, you know, the power of the presence of Jesus who's dwelling among us, you know, they may understand the name of the one who sees them, who's, you know, saying, be clean, uh, be set free. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. It, there's so many, as with any, every passage of the gospel, there's just all these different dimensions. And you're like, you can go on and on and on. And the people are like, I have to go to work after this mass. <laughs> Please, I came to receive the Lord, hear the Lord. <laughs> Pull it on, you know. And you're like, God is love. <laughs> so, but there's just so much, you know. It's just very rich. Father Stosh Daly, the vicar for religious for the Diocese of Columbus. Brother Michael Hurley, who is serving at Christ the King. One dimension here also further in, in this passage that really stands out to me is the response of the people, um, the community there. Mm -hmm. That So word gets back to them that this demoniac has been freed. And those who had seen it told what had happened to the demoniac and to the, and, and to the swine. And then they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just set this guy free. They don't say thanks. They're like, uh, can you leave now? <laughs> What's up with that? Well, they lost bacon. <laughs> I mean, if I wasn't Wouldn't have... anybody be upset? <laughs> yeah. Our breakfast has changed for the next couple of years. Like, I, I'd want them to leave, too. Proof they're Gentiles. <laughs> okay, that clears it up. Yeah. Sometimes just a simple answer is the correct one.
<laughs> no, I would, I'm really touched by the the juxtaposition actually between the two of you have all these people saying please leave and then the man running up and say, and wanting mm. to just pleading mm. to remain with him so it's this juxtaposition please leave and then please remain with me i mean there's been a lot of commentary obviously on this and a lot of people talk about well jesus affected them economically like it's this focus this focus on we've lost a lot of money of having 2000 pigs ruined you know this is our it's our livelihood and and an, uh, an over focus maybe on the financial and and ignoring the fact that someone someone was very much freed from their from their torment, you know, someone who was breaking chains and shackles and really actually also creating a lot of a lot of commotion, a lot of ruckus. But of yeah, it's this is why it's a tough gospel because in one sense you can argue, well, Jesus, don't you care about us financially? You know, don't you care about our our bodily lives? And and then Jesus also caring for a man who's suffering also bodily, but also, but especially uh, spiritually. And so you could, this is a real tension here about caring for people spiritually and physically. It's not a, it's not um, a tension that can't go together. Those two, uh, the body and the spirit are very much connected, but here, I think a lesson that we can draw from it is the level of importance that, that Christ gives to our spiritual lives. Um, and then also his focus on the individual, his focus on the individual of seeing this man um, suffering and and really taking that time to to really care for him to care for him individually but yeah i think that that juxtaposition is something that that is very powerful um for me to see is like please remain with me but then even then he doesn't he says no right so you would think well isn't the best thing to remain with you jesus but he actually calls him to his vocation right he says you have a family right and for for we don't know how long he's been possessed but really for a long time we can assume he hasn't been able to be there, you know, for his family, unfortunately, because of, because of this possession. And so Jesus is really calling him to his duty, right? Calling him to his duty to go home and spend, and to be with his wife and his children, um, which is also another, another juxtaposition sometimes, right? Of like between work and family of, you know, what you want to be there providing, you want to be working for your family, but also being with their family. So I love that go home to your family. And not just go home and be with them, but also to to bring the witness, to bring the gospel message, to bring this his testimony to his family. And you know, Jesus also in Scripture talks about how difficult difficult it is to be a prophet in your own in your own town amongst your own people. Mm-hmm. But he really gives him a good challenge of go home and care for your family spiritually as well, because this testimony that he'll be received is is this amazing testimony to even his his own family. Brother Michael Hurley, he, Father Stosh Daly with us here in the cafe this morning. We're reflecting on today's gospel passage, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The, I just lost my, my, my thought there, brother. You, you had mentioned then going back into his family. This is all happening in, in, in pagan territory, right? So... One of the first, is this the first encounter that these folks would have with Jesus is through the testimony of this man? Had Jesus, at least in this gospel, been? Without a doubt, out? some of them, this would have been the first time yeah. of their encounter with him. Uh, you know, there's references here and there that his reputation had spread, mm-hmm. you know, even like in today's world, word of mouth. Word of mouth. Um but for some, without a doubt, and and I think even in there we find 
a point of meditation. It's like, you know, people are fascinated by the manifestation of power and afraid of the presence. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, I want the power of the Lord to be here, take care of us, heal us, set us free, everything else. Uh, no, you need to go <laughs> you know? yeah. because what else is he going to ask of me? I've mm -hmm. seen what you did for him. And uh, so without a doubt, this would have been the first, what we would call encounter, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a very profound version of the word meeting, a first encounter for a lot of these people, you know, in this region. And, and therein lies, um, you know, how do people, and I like, with my students at the seminary, I said, you know, are we responding or are we reacting? And you see both. The mm -hmm. man who's set free, he responds. I want I want you for me and you for me and everything else. And the Lord clears that, clears that up. You know, you must go to your family. But then a lot of people react, you know, and how do you respond or do how do you react to the manifestation of the power of the divine one who is Jesus among us in his presence? Is the, is the difference that you're getting at there the one of emotion or is that, the reaction well how to, when you say respond versus react sure sure um no one is ultimately cooperating okay. and then one is refusing you know so if one responds there then becomes an openness to the reality of the power exhibited through the one who is present jesus but then the one who reacts you know you could say that's more rooted in emotion whereas to respond you have to digest the mm -hmm. truth of what's being there, and then you're able to live it, engage it. Whereas if, if you react, a lot of times, one who reacts, that comes as a result of fear, you know? Uh, and that fear is usually pointing towards, I don't want to let go of my my authority, my power. And when the Lord is present, you have no authority. <laughs> I mean, you know, Merry Christmas, you have nothing, you know? <laughs> so, he has everything. This is great, you know? <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's where, in a way, my thoughts started to go during this passage with them begging him to leave. This idea of, well, it makes me almost think of St. Augustine who says, Lord, save me, but not yet. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like this, oh, no. Like, he's Jesus calling me to radically change. I, yeah. I've seen yeah. the power that he has, and I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, that's a very perfect summary. You know, we we all want the glory, but we don't want the cross that we have to carry to get there. And of course, the manifestation of the cross is intimate union with the Lord and that heeding his words and then entering into the union with the will of the Father. And we're all like, oh, let's try that on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I might grow into that shoe in a few days, but not just yet. You know, it's letting go and then accepting the love he has, you know. How, how can we train ourselves in that area to respond more and react less? I mean, I would say uh, that's where the power of the pause, if we would just pause more often in our life and think, you know, and, and it could just be like the over the, the duration of the time of just saying, come Holy Spirit, like what is being revealed? What is unfolding right now? But we live in a, a period of time where you and I have been baked into thinking, we've been uh, deceived into thinking, deluded into thinking that um, dead time is terrible time. You know? mm. So like we will fill our conversations with ums, likes, and us because we're petrified of there being silence, there being a pause. But the power of the pause is what enables us to engage the fullness of our person 
so that we have an integrated approach and then we can respond versus being purely like rooted in emotions. And then the moment we feel that we might lose control, we react out of fear and run away. Or mm -hmm. in this situation, we tell Jesus, you go away. You know? mm -hmm. So I think the power of the pause, if we just, you know, go slow and think and digest, and that could be something like seeing a, the beauty of a painting, listening to the magnificence of a, a work of art and a classical musical piece, or in conversation, like actually thinking, what did this person just say? And how do I best respond versus reacting with whatever may immediately follow, which is usually an um or a like <laughs> or uh. <laughs> This, this makes me think of the conversation we had with Mary Beth and, um, and Lisa on and Friday because we were talking about rest and we had gotten into the part of the conversation where we were talking about distractions and crutches, things like scrolling or just ways that we can run away from that pause that maybe the Lord is asking us to take yeah. and fill ourselves with a distraction. And I think the pause is so important because... For instance, just in my own life yesterday, there was this uncomfortable emotion starting to come up and immediately, excuse me, immediately I wanted to go to my phone and like, oh, what's going on on Instagram right now, right? <laughs> and it was like, whoa, I have to realize that's a crutch. Mm. I had to put the phone down and Jesus, let's just sit here in this emotion. What are you trying to tell me through this? Yeah. What do I, what do I have to be attentive to and how can we grow? Well, even being here on our, on a radio show in the cafe, you're, you're feeling Who's who's talking next? Right there's the, even the you don't want the awkward pause over the over the station, right? I I, I would agree with the the pause. I, I think people anyone has experienced someone pausing, and you can actually see that they're thinking about how to respond to your question. I often feel actually honored by that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or I'm and if you feel awkward with the pause, one thing that's been very helpful is to say, you know what? Well, you just asked a good question. Can I take a second to respond to that yeah. because I want to take your question seriously. When someone says that to me, I go. I set up a little straighter in my chair. I'm like, whoa, okay. I guess mm -hmm. you don't even realize maybe your question was, was that good. But the other, <laughs> the other thing you might pause is like, do I have the answer? Right. Mm -hmm. And someone asks you for life advice and you all of a sudden feel like the, the pressure of the moment. But I think in, in that time, it's actually a, a moment to rest in God and to say, to take that pause and be like, all right, God, how do you want to answer the question? They're, they're asking you as a person, Right. But you actually know that the Lord is the one that ultimately has the wisdom. And that's a moment to really call on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to answer this question. <laughs> I'm actually at this point where when people come up and ask me questions, I'm not confident in my own wisdom. So it's like, all right, God, help. I, I will say it now. I'm like, all right, God, you got to answer this question. You know, Brother Mike, after Mass, you know, Brother Mike, I've got a question for you. And I immediately panic. <laughs> you know, it's the red flashing lights. It's like... All right, God, help me answer this question. And look, there's a, there's times when the answer doesn't come, and then it's like, all right, I think maybe this is God's moment to just humble me because maybe I'm mm -hmm. thinking I do have the wisdom, and He's actually letting me fall on my face and have the embarrassing moment. I'm like, all right, maybe the lesson was for me to learn. Actually, the life advice there. But then other times, you know, I know you've all, many of us have had this experience too. You just start responding, and you're like, I don't know where that came from, but we do know where that came from. That came from the, the pause, and that came from the Holy Spirit giving us giving us the uh the answer mm -hmm. actually my my brother he shared experience with me he was talking to someone and he was like at first I thought she was just not really listening and because when she would try to respond to me she, there would be these pauses he's like and then I started to realize she was really taking in what I was saying yeah. and wanted to respond properly 
So, wow, like to that interaction of feeling genuinely loved because someone takes the time to actually pause and not That's fill true. in things right away. If you're an internal processor, <laughs> yeah. this is tough, right? The external processors, the extroverts in the room are always jumping in immediately. I'm an extrovert, so I'm always interrupting people. But then sometimes when I force myself to shut up, actually, some people that are internal processors that are like, take that time. If they're internally processing, often they have the really profound moments. So the, for the extroverts listening to this, maybe it's t a challenge for us to to take a pause, <laughs> you know, and give someone who is internally processing that moment. But if you're an internal processor, I think it's very helpful to say, actually, you just asked a really good question. Let me give that a second. And then for those that have asked the question, allow the beauty of that response to happen, to know that maybe the Lord will speak through them and to allow them to have that time to be able to think of the response or hear it. Mm -hmm. You guys reminded me of uh, years ago when Joseph Ratzinger was cardinal before Pope and he became Pope Benedict. And um, I was privileged to attend a conference where he was speaking and he was off the cuff and someone had posed a question. He paused and then he gave this just beautiful answer. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, I was like, he answers in paragraphs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, they fast forward like a couple years. I'm in major seminary and I was visiting a bunch of friends and they had other friends over and uh, a couple of the young adults, they were asking questions. And, and it was one of those make or break moments. Like you could tell they were asking out of genuine, sincere curiosity. And I'm a big thing. I'm a, I, I stand by the line. If you don't know the answer, don't give an answer. Mm -hmm. Just let them know. I will find out the answer and then give it to you at a moment that is appropriate. Um, so I was listening to the questions and I'm, <laughs> I was pausing. And I was thinking and giving an answer. And uh, one of the young women whose name was Marissa, she just stopped after mid-conversation one night, and she goes, you answer in paragraphs. And I was like, that is the greatest compliment you could ever give me. And then she's like, I, I don't think I meant that as a compliment. I just thought it was kind of weird that you answer in paragraphs. <laughs> I was like, oh my, I have, I, I will never be anywhere near the realm of Benedict XVI or Joseph Rasekin. But the fact that someone would just say, I speak, like, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm content. We can turn this light off. The show's over. I'm going home now. <laughs> She's like, you speak in paragraphs. But what she meant to say is it's not like this endless stream of consciousness where you have to then decipher and translate the fluff with the, the matter. But rather you post a question. Now I'm responding with sincerity and investment. I, I, I want to mean what I say and say what I mean versus having to like constantly pull back. And I was like, oh, that's not what I meant. That's not what, yeah. But it's such a weird thing, like how beautiful something so simple that like, you speak in paragraphs. <laughs> it just reflects that you reflect, you know, and that's necessary for us to actually engage the work of the Holy Spirit. Give him time to work, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, now, brother would know this and I would know this, you know, when you're a public person, you don't always have time. So you're, in your back of your head, you're like, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. You don't have time to work. You got to get this out now. <laughs> I'll give you all the time. I'm just going to turn off the microphone, hand it over to you. <laughs> and then people look at you like, that was really brilliant. It's like, that was not from me. That was my voice. That was my mouth. Not me. <laughs> so just an opportunity to be docile, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Father Stosh Daly, Brother Michael Hurley here in the cafe. We've been reflecting on Mark chapter five and talking about the pause. And then you do a lot of youth ministry, brother. And... With, with the kids that you witness to, are they, um, what's the right word? Possessed and... <laughs> 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 
<laughs> not quite, but if you want to take it in that direction, <laughs> I'm just saying, when, uh, their, their patience. I mean, when we say be childlike, are, are they conditioned now to expect quick answers or are they, do you find still more reflective and willing to, to sit with you and to, uh, let things unfold? Yeah. Ironically, I think they're hungry for the pause. They just don't know how to enter into it. One of, uh, the brothers, brother Steven, the other day, (laughs) brother Steven's from Philly, very blunt, somewhat aggressive in a good way. (laughs) And he walked up to one of the guys and, um, teenager and barely knew him. And he, and the guy was on his phone at like a retreat and he goes, Hey, you getting anything out of that? I mean, he just went right in and the kid looked up kind of surprised and he was like, no, not really. And he goes, you think you're going to find anything in that? Just scrolling through. And he goes, uh, no, I, I, I won't. And that day he actually asked us to physically take his phone away from him during, during talks, during, during retreats. He begged us. He's like, I, I I can't put it down. I need you to come and like Mm -hmm. physically take this away from me. And so it was just this beautiful moment of like, he was desiring, desiring the rest, but just didn't know how to enter into it. <laughs> I have a ton of kids that will come to youth group and like, uh, they, they can't sit still. They want to, but they just don't know how. So it's almost like a relearning how to rest. So we're really trying to teach them how to rest. Cause then you will have then a whole set of other kids who, um, they're totally embracing the rest. I mean, it's very strange for me to say, it's been very surprising for me to see with this group of kids, but we'll do, we'll do 30 minutes of Lexio. And 20 minutes of that will then be sitting in silence journaling and they're hungry for it and they love it. And that has been really shocking to me that when you, when you give them a space actually to be in silence, they'll take it, you know, they'll take it. You might have to teach a few how to enter into it, um, but they'll take it. They'll take it. They're actually really hungry, hungering for it. Hmm. Your experience with the uh, seminarians, Father Daly, also a yearning for the pause. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, for I mean, first of all, I'm incredibly edified by each and every single one of the men in the house where I live. There's 30 seminarians, two different stages of formation, but 30 of them, and each one of them are, um, as I remind them often, a miracle. But uh, they're hungry for it, very much like what Brother shared. Um, oftentimes, there is uh, an ignorance of just like, oh, how do I even begin? You know, so we we engage by entering into intentional media fast, go without the phone overnight, go without the phone for a day, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, withdrawal from blue light, you know, how do we just kind of slowly but surely start to lean into that reality of, I, I use the term restoring our sense of wonder and awe, mm. uh, given the fact that in the stage of formation where I'm assigned, our primary task is not actually priesthood. Our primary task is forming them to be disciples, good, solid men who are following the Lord, listening to the Lord. They already know his voice, but they may not know his name, his identity. You know, So we, we say, follow the voice into the heart of the Lord. But yeah, there's a desire there, uh, very much a hunger, a thirst, which is beautiful, but very much like what Brother said, sometimes it, those first few steps may be unknown. Um, they know they have to take them, but they don't know which direction. And uh, you know, sometimes they'll have the phone, and it's like on Sunday, I'll say, okay, bring your phone to me so I can see, you know, it gives you the um, screen time. 
And sometimes they're very willing to just like flip it over and it's like, oh, there's screen time, 45 minutes average a day. And other times it's like, uh, 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 you're like six and a half hours. You're like, how is that even possible? (laughs) We were in chapel, classroom. You take naps when I'm teaching class. I, you're not on your phone then. <laughs> so where did you find six and a half hours on average wow. a day? But of course, a lot of times you leave your apps on and everything else. But nevertheless, it's like that reality check. It's like we have to lean into this now, uh, not because of the priesthood, uh, definitely because we're disciples for sure, but you know, we, to regain that sense of wonder and awe, right? And yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a hunger, there's a thirst, there's a desire. Sometimes you have to help them with those first few steps. Mm-hmm. Father Stosh Daly, Brother Michael Hurley, there's one line that I missed the first time as we were reading through this passage. The man who had been possessed, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Mm-hmm. A, a bit of a pause there, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. He doesn't yeah. figure what his life was like up until yeah. that point. You know, breaking chains, you know throwing rocks at himself and Not just beating himself up yeah unclothed just that frenetic yeah um and now peace mm-hmm. sitting there clothed and in his right mind yeah mm-hmm. and then the next line they were seized with fear so to to see such a change you know to again the juxtaposition of peace the peace that was brought of these legions being gone being replaced with the holy spirit and people not knowing how to like they're so used to seeing the chaos they're so used to seeing this man in chaos that all of a sudden when you see him in peace it's like this overwhelming how how, i can't handle it i can't handle it talking about a lot of the youth like there's there's a fear of peace even at times there's a fear of Again, uh, how do I, how, you have to often teach them how to, how to enter into the rest and into the silence. Sometimes with th- some of these kids, there's, there's so little peace in their lives that when the peace comes, it's, it's too much. Mm-hmm. They'll crack a joke, right? They'll crack a joke yeah. just to, to rid themselves of, of the awkwardness of, of the peace or, it, or it's too kind or it's too, it, it, it can't exist. They can't, this can't possibly exist, this peace. And so sometimes you have to, oh, miss guide them through the comfortability of living in the peace of Christ and then the peace of, of, of resting with the spirit of contemplative prayer of just simply sitting and being with the Lord, you know, in adoration, there can be so much chaos and so much confusion that Mm. it's something that we need to learn to get into. Allow ourselves to recognize and respond to that peace. Amen. Father Stosh Daly, brother Michael Hurley, friends, Uh, I hope that this hour has brought you some peace and and know that you're able to spend time with the gospel every day and sit, hear his voice, and respond. Tomorrow, Dr. Marlon Delatore and Colin Ray, as well as John Edwards, who's coming to the men's conference. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. See you tomorrow morning.